Hello, this is Matt Hale bringing you Art Monthly's talk show on Resonance 104.4 FM. And I'm joined today by two guests. They are Colin Perry and John Douglas Miller. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. Thanks coming in and for doing it live. We don't always record live. It doesn't make any difference. We're all now consummate professionals. Um, (laughs) And before we go any further, I shall just hold you there as an audience and tell you that Art Monthly magazine is currently offering a new, very good special offer on subscribing to the magazine, which we're going to be talking about today. And you can subscribe to it for £29. That gives you 10 issues and a saving of £15 on a normal subscription price. I shall now stop doing that and ask John Miller, John Douglas Miller, I'm sorry, John, um, to begin the conversation we're going to have, uh, which is discussing a feature by John and then a review of three places by Colin. And we're going to start with um, John. Now, John's piece was called Conceptual Writing, and it's in the current issue, which is the November issue 361 of Art Monthly. Um, John, how did you come about wanting to write about conceptual writing um, as a writer? <clears throat> well, I, I come academically from a, a literary background, um, and I found this stuff uh, distasteful originally from that background. So writing about it was trying to kind of work out what I really thought about it. OK, so writing the feature it, it was, was a way a, of... Yeah, it was almost like trying to break down my kind of academic background and, and you know engage with it on this kind of artistic level. Because I think we describe you at, at, at the end of the feature as, as being a writer, critic and poet, so you're mm. not strictly, purely academic. No, and the poetry side of things is, is, is experimental but more uh, traditional than this kind of stuff. And, and where did you find this conceptual writing, as, as named as such, I mean? Um, no, that's interesting. I came across it, um, I was doing a thing at the Serpentine last year when they had the, uh, mar- you know, they have the marathon last year it was a garden marathon they've just had the memory marathon recently uh, they mean like a conversational marathon yeah it's a two two days and people speak for 20 minutes and it goes rolling for these two days um anyway will holder was there and also a guy called nick thurston um and it was through talking to them that i kind of became aware of the work of well nick thurston is a conceptual writer himself and uh, people like kenneth goldsmith uh, and various others um, and it kind of, you know, it, it fascinated me, but kind of, as I say, repulsed me at the same time because uh, kind of taking this conceptual approach to writing kind of seemed to debase it in some way. What, debase, debase writing? Debased literature, because they keep... It's kind of about... That's one of the interesting points about it is that it's trying to kind of uh, destabilise the category of literature. Right, and uh, as a kind of anarchic act, you mean? Uh, yeah, I guess so, yeah, you could say that. And, and, and also, wh- where do you sit in relation to conceptual art? Um, Which obviously is, 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 is where the word conceptual comes from uh, in this relation. Yeah, situation. I mean, I'm not against conceptual art. It's, a part of the problem I have with this, actually, is that it's, it doesn't seem to me any different from conceptual art. Calling it conceptual writing doesn't seem to kind of define anything for me. But there seems because to be... people have used writing and conceptual art, you know, since its inception pretty much, so yeah. I don't really see how... I mean, I mean Colin, we, we were talking before, weren't you, and you mentioned an artist who's, who uses words and, and, and as their work. Well, there's so many you could mention, um, and I guess, you know, if you came from the States, you'd say a different person, but I, the immediate person who came to my mind who uses large volumes of text, sort of transcribing them, essentially, and representing them as appropriated works and words of her own um, is Fiona Banner, who, you know, has, has retranscribed films on, on the Vietnam War and 
you know, various other yeah, things. Yeah, by watching the films and then actually describing what she sees, is that the process? Well, 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 there's been different ones. There's some that are literally transcriptions and some that are based on sort of a, you know, what Hans Ulrich Brist would call a memory marathon kind of thing, <laughs> you know. So they play on different things, so it's not a singular thing that she yeah. d- she's done. D- John, th- th- that's a, a quite contemporary artist, and as mm. in, you know, from the 90s, she yeah, started doing 90s, that, didn't she? From... You, with the, yeah. your, I mean, the conceptual writing well, we're, we're about we're, someone, like, someone early in that, probably. Yeah, I mean, you? someone like Sol Witt or, or Baldessari, or, or even kind of Ian Hamilton Finlay or something. Right, so you've got your American and your English parallel kind of yeah. going uh, on. I'd say the difference is, is those, those guys, those conceptual artists, tended to write very short, pithy statements mm or enigmatic phrases um, onto gallery what, walls. Like Lawrence Wiener? Yeah. Wiener, sorry. <laughs> Whichever one, yeah. No, it's definitely Wiener. <laughs> um, so, so there's a, you know, you get this word from conceptual art and you sort of immediately try and connect it back to mm. those guys. But I don't know what, what the actual initial point is for wanting to reproduce large amounts of text. Mm. You know, this guy... Kenneth or Kenny Goldsmith, who's one of the founders of UbiWeb, hmm. um, he's retranscribed, um, for instance, uh, a whole issue of the New York Times, hmm. which you mentioned, I think, in here. <laughs> um, you know, that's quite a specific thing to do, and hmm. it's quite a sort of provocative, even charlatan way of behaving, of hmm. just laying something down and saying, well, why isn't that poetry in the same way as Duchamp or whatever would yeah, reframe something? Um, yeah, it's, it, that, I mean, that's the interesting thing about Kenneth Goldsmith, because there's two kind of strains to this, I think. On one side, you've got the kind of digital element where people are, are doing stuff online. Um, there's the example where one of these guys is... Uh, using Facebook updates. He's got a self-generating site where these Facebook updates are ascribed to kind of famous authors. So you end up with, you know, Dr. Johnson talking about his socks falling down or something like Mm -hmm. that. But then on the other side, you've got Kenneth Goldsmith, who to me seems much more, maybe not even in a conceptual art vein, but much more in the the vein of a kind of an avant-garde provocateur or something like that. Which to me seems different. I think yeah, a, you know, it does seem to be lumping together different yeah, types definitely. of and, and like practice. you say with the, the small, you were talking about you know conceptual uh, history with the small pithy remarks or whatever. There are still uh, writers within this kind of group that are doing that. I mean, you've got the example of not my Motorola, which is kind of almost you could see that on a gallery wall, almost being one of these kind of works. Yeah, there's an image of that reproduced in um, the magazine. Yeah, that's that, is that Alexandra. Yeah, where Never she long. where she uh, she lists every moment in the day where she uses her mobile phone. Yeah, just no- <laughs> notes it down. Basic, yeah. Basically, yeah, her different um, brandings. It reads like brand, a brand list to me. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of dull in a way to read, hmm. if you know what I mean, <laughs> because it's very literal in a sense, isn't it? Hmm. Because that was one thing that did interest me at the end of your um, piece. You, you do talk about the subjective. Hmm. Am I right about that? And you know, you know where, where where does that lie in this this new conceptual writing? Or there's the relationship between? Well, I think there's a quote, isn't there? And it's it's um, when you can't find feeling or emotion in the text, you move it on to the author. Um, and I think that's you know, I think that's true, isn't it? Especially with Kenneth Goldsmith, he's sort of become this monstrous ego figure. What behind the text? Yeah, and it's him that he's become interesting in his own right, really, rather than you know. The text itself isn't really that interesting. Which Although I would argue that some of it is. It's very, very, you know, is it was it Sol Lewitt, you know, that said that we can, it's only as good as the concept or whatever. 
and largely some of his concepts are far better than others. I think. I mean, I think the New York Times piece is definitely boring, but I think the piece where it's everything... It, this is quite an interesting point, actually. The piece where he lists everything he said in a week um, I think kind of works quite interestingly because it's just like this kind of babalogue. But what I was thinking about with that was how much is he manipulating that at the same time? Because it's, it ends with him saying, I love you. And, you know, he must have been aware as he said this one. You purposely said that as the last thing in the week. Well, you've got to think that, haven't you? It's, it's <laughs> well, too just, neat, really, isn't it? Because yeah, <laughs> you equate that to Ulysses, don't you? Mm. Well, because it, it is this kind of brilliant kind of... It has that sense of just this kind of babalogue monologue ending and then it ends with these words and it does kind of feel like a very deliberate... It also uh, seems very egocentric, you know, mm. everything I did, everything <laughs> I, t- you know, mm. all all of the gadgets I have. Yeah, I mean, that's where it kind of, of splits apart, doesn't it? Yeah. Because there's this thing of, like, I'm erasing myself by just taking, you know, the New York Times and writing it. But then you've got these other things where it's like... Well, they're contradictory pieces then, aren't they, really? Yeah, exactly. You know. and, but that's where I think his kind of, maybe, rhetoric around it starts to come yeah. apart. Maybe. So he's written about what he thinks conceptual writing yeah, quite, is yeah. in, in, in relation to literature. You, you, I mean, that's what, what you read, wasn't it? Stuff mm. by him. Mm. Sort of trying yeah, to... Well, def- I mean, he's put out anthologies of... There's an anthology of conceptual writing by him and Craig Dworkin um, where they both wrote, write quite extensive introductions about, you know, what conceptual writing is, why it's, you know, the new thing. Yeah. It um, does sound a bit like an invention for invention's sake. Well, it's funny because he swings between saying... Sometimes he's basically saying it's just taking modernist tropes and applying it to the digital age. And other times he's saying it's this kind of brand-new break with aesthetics or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, in the it's way quite a confused discourse, we could say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, in the way that you... When you began writing your feature, you were mm. not certain where your position was necessarily, mm. and in writing it you were discovering... Mm. where your position was. Difficulty for you must have been, really, the way that that's maybe what they're doing mm. as well. It's like they're testing mm. this, is it new or isn't it new as mm. well? Or yeah, am I giving true. them too much rope? I think so much of it is, well, old rope, isn't it? But I, I wanted to... <laughs> I wanted to there's, there's another term in here that you use, which is mm. sort of a very you know, active thing in art at the moment, which is art writing. Mm. Which is different to, you know, which there's been a, <laughs> a lot of discussion, especially in, in our monthly about. Yes, so, absolutely. Uh, you know, if we could say what kind of relationship conceptual writing has to art writing. We have to remember what we think art writing is to do that. Well, that's oh, the, well, yeah. <laughs> well, well this, you know, with capitalised A and W as a sort of, you know, as a term. Yeah, yeah. This, it, I. John? Well, I think we've spoken before. About that. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, and, and I'm not sure that we do know what okay, art you, writing Yeah, you look exhausted just you mean, this from different, thinking about it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the same old thing about is it different to writing? Yeah. That, that's the point, isn't it? Mm. I mean, and, and, and that's, that's, it is arguable. Well, it's art writing be. to me seems to, to want to contain an awful lot of different things. It's, it's not, you know, it, it would want to contain perhaps a conceptual type of writing, but it would also want to contain a type of criticism, like, you know, criticism, poetry, whatever. It'll be anything as long as it's under the academic rubric of art writing. <laughs> yeah. You know, whereas this has, you know, it may be a confused discourse, but it has specific goals more than, I would say, the art writing thing. Yeah, does. yeah, yeah. I, I also thought, I hope I got the right, Enquire, he writes the dates. Yes. The dates, mm, he yeah, paints yeah. a painting of the date, yeah. of the day, every mm, day. Yeah. Because that's, that's like... Writing down everything you said in a day in a way, mm. it's, the, it's just slightly more modest and 
Buddhist or something to me. Well, to it's my just mind. taking yourself out of it a little bit. Isn't yeah, it, it does, doesn't it? It's, yeah. it's it's subtler, like quieter, I suppose, maybe. Hmm. Egotistically speaking, mm-hmm. I mean. Although I think the collectors that buy the um, ones where it's their birthday are slightly different. You know. Ah, you mean the buyers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hadn't thought of that. Get the encore of your dirt. I hadn't thought of yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Do, do, um, shall we um, drift across to Colin's um, review? Um, and and then we may drift back again as well. Or yeah. Find find a link. There are possible links, but with uh, the feature and your review, Colin, you've reviewed three places: the the, the, um, the Blue collection with a show by Matthew Derbyshire, yeah, a group show which he was in called The Associates at Kettle's Yard, mm-hmm. and Theaster Gates at the White Cube. Um, I mean, did you link those three for, for any particular reason? Or, I mean, ge- geography? It wasn't geography, because one's in Bermondsey, one's in Cambridge, and one's in north-west London. Yeah, yeah. I I was just, you know, looking at the listings, as you do, every now and again. <laughs> and there was a bunch of shows that seemed to tie together various ideas about urban space and, um, you know... Uh, gentrification and how artists will can deal with that in with through various different tactics um matthew Derbyshire, i think there's a there's a lot claimed for his way of working or or his specific practice um which goes beyond what he actually does i i think and that's what i argue in um this review to to say that his his work looks at um the way we live in uh, new build houses especially and he reconstructs he creates these installations that are like a reconstruction of a show home Um, they're very sort of off the shelf kind of Barrett style you know um, bastardised versions of uh, modernism and uh, you know bits of textbook postmodernism in there Um, he's got this big show at uh, Zabludovich um, Zabludovich collection, which is in Chalk Farm, North London, and um, the show is on tour from um, uh, what's it called in uh, in Glasgow? Tramway. Tramway. Well done. Yes. Sorry, I was <laughs> sorry. A little blank there. The show is on tour from from there, and um, it's a it's a really large show. I mean, obviously, in Tramway is a massive, great big space, and the large. Methodist Church, I think it is, that Zabludovich collection is in now, is also a very large space. And he's filled it with um, these kind of claddings that you get on buildings as they're being renovated, uh, which sort of show what the place will look like after it's been done up. And you have these sort of computer graphic renditions. You know, you see them all over the place. They, they, you know, they make it look very clean and nice. And But there's always a bit of a sort of you know, Georgian throwback because they're, you know, s- smashing the back off a building and keeping its facade or something like that. A sort of fantasy, really. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, he's re- you know, presented a load of his versions of those and a, a room that has um, a kind of recreation of a show, ha- show house room in as well. And there's a video that plays in this room, sort of in, you know, on the telly that the family would sit around and watch. And it's it's got a... A text that's been read by Owen Hatherley, who's a critique of um, urbanism, especially uh, the 
post well Thatcher and post Thatcher kind of urbanism. Um, so there's all these ingredients that suggest that it it should be a an outright critique of this way of commodifying spaces, but in fact. Um, the Zabludovich collection is itself a problematic space because Pojo Zabludovich, who is you know the the primary source of money for um, the collection, is a very very rich man who owns a large um, a large area of Los Angeles. A vast uh, swathe of downtown. Is it Los Angeles or <laughs> Las Vegas? Las Vegas. Sorry, sorry, I'm getting no, that's fine. getting befuddled on, on live radio. Um, and, a fo- and has a fortune built on deep involvement in the Israeli arms trade. You well, say? yeah, he's he's, <laughs> he's all, always mentioned for that. Although I think Pojo Zabludovich has sort of stepped yes, back I think a lot that, from I think that's that. Past. Yeah, I think that's the um, past. I think he still actually has a few fingers and pies with that. I mean, he's he's still. A great supporter of the Tory Party and many things that, you know, a left-wing artist. Cameron was just recently out selling arms in, so. in the East, I think. Yeah, but, but you're saying that in a way that the, the work by the artist, which should be taking this on board, that in, in in a more in order for it to be more effective and to be as critically uh, effective as, as 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 people say it is in a way. Well, you have to deal with it in some way. You either deal with it by not getting involved with it in the first place or you put in some kind of critical content that shows that you're aware of the context in which you're showing and you it sort just of think seems he's bizarre in, and he's in the middle somewhere he's sort of slipping about somewhere i mean well it just becomes hypocritical to to be in that position so, so more than not that, to yeah. do so, you know so i think there is a real danger of that happening with artists if they don't actually you know face up to where the money's coming from in these situations. Yeah. And, and in Kettle's Yard, he was in a group show there, the Associates. Was, was it... Because that, that's another very specific context. Yeah, Jim Eads, former house, that was um, that is, is now a, a museum and a, a contemporary art gallery. It's got a very small contemporary art space at the moment whilst they spend many years rebuilding and expanding the new, <laughs> the new space that they're building there. Um that worked better in some ways because it was just so much more modest and there was also not a problematic context. It also showed that Matthew Derbyshire's work can be a more of a gentle critique um, or a sort of tongue-in-cheek look at the way we live. Um, you know, I, I think it becomes problematic when press releases and gallery statements, etc., start to tell you how radical an artist is and, and they turn out just to be somebody who quite likes you know soft furnishings it's <laughs> you know it's not it's not the same thing i don't think no and and theaster gates then at, at um white cube i mean i i saw that show you mentioned documenta that that, that he, he did yeah in, in a very old kind of run down Building which he transformed in a very DIY, DIY, but I thought rather rather lovely way. Yeah, with other people, I think. Yeah, <laughs> you could so, describe that a bit more than me if you like. Well, there was a disused building in Cassel. I never can say the word Cassel. Cassel. Castle. 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 It's like Castle. C a s t l e. Really. Yeah. That's how you say. I think. Yeah. I always mispronounce it. In German, people have a go at me for getting wrong. In Germany. Documentary in Germany. Yeah. In the centre of the town, there's a very large building that was 
that he occupied with a bunch of people that he's involved with in Chicago. You know? um, and they basically squatted the place, but in a very legal way. And they were able to live there and transform it into a very, you know, enjoyable creative space. Yeah, it was like going around and looking at people, there were bedrooms effectively, weren't they, which were kind of individually made beds and uh, and you went yeah. up on different floors and, and there was a kitchen, you actually went in the kitchen and people were cooking food when I was there. Was, so who was he occupying it with? Who what, were the groups that were involved? Well, it's this, it's, it's this one. The, it's these this people. one, I, I don't know enough about them to, okay. to say. Um, but it was like a community, yeah. it was like you were going into a kind of cooperative community house. I mean, were they a, like house. a politically active group already or was it yes kind of they've been doing stuff already yeah. okay yeah, yeah. And, and so th- so it was a kind of you describe it don't you as a kind of social critique of housing in a way don't you well yeah as a, as a work I yeah mean. especially the situation in you know many american cities where, where this has happened and it's um it also connects a lot to race which is um a large amount of what his his work's about and he uh, does a lot of stuff with black music and black musicians. Yeah, and they were pl- um, they were on video playing. Yeah, ar- around this the... space there was um, videos playing uh, music, sort of soul, gospel, and jazz, and you know, really good stuff. Yeah. Um, and a lot of recycling. It was all recycled. Everything was yeah. was found wood that he had cut up and remade. So there was a kind of you know, you, it was very you it would be hard pushed to criticise it. Yeah, and the music was all made on site. And, yeah, you know, yeah. it's it yeah. of... so in White Cube. Cut, cut to the chase. <laughs> so then, what did he do? Because it's a different so context. No, completely to say the different least. context. Yeah, you shift from this um, state-funded large exhibition in Germany to uh, one of, uh, well, I think it's probably London's biggest private gallery, hmm. the White Cube Bermondsey. It's a massive space. It's like a Kunsthalle, um, and he's said nothing at all about um, urbanism. Really, it's it, it's largely a show about the history of race in the USA. Um, it's an interesting show, but but you don't think it completely turns its back on the context. You know, you said earlier that you know you either ignore it, the context mm-hmm. completely, yeah, or you go for it head on. Are you saying that he didn't ignore it completely? Well, I feel like he did ignore it in a similar way. Actually. Isn't that okay yeah. then? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Not really. No, I mean, well. It doesn't feel enough, you know, for for somebody who's making certain claims to their work. Normally. Yeah. Elsewhere. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. To suddenly not be when they're in a commercial gallery. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, yeah, it, it just, it becomes very problematic and it, it's slightly sickening, I think, as well, just <laughs> to see these very large, very obvious commodities being lumped in there. You know, he's he did sort of these things with... Um, these these two um, fire engines, these sort of quite old-fashioned looking American fire real engines. Real ones. Real ones, which, which were presented in there. One was actually suspended off the floor inside one of the galleries um, with a counterweight that was a large... Was there a the question why comes into mind? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it sounds like Chris, Chris Burden. Yeah, it's, it's a little <laughs> bit like there's a big spectacle. Without I mean, any animation? Yeah, there's some kind of narrative involved but I, i'm not quite sure um there's also a video of there's, there's another um one of these vehicles parked outside and it's got these big sort of black splodges on it and there's a video inside showing uh Gates and a group of people getting uh bitumen and slopping it onto the side of it 
um, and the story there is it's sort of inspired by his his dad who um, who was employed putting bitumen on roofs, um, and he considered it his his own private protest during you know. It's so, complicated. So, so it's, it? you know, there's there's an interesting story. Yeah, back yeah. there somehow. Yeah, yeah. difficult yeah. though. John, with your with your piece, it's um, mm. I, I'm quite interested in, in a way that we're talking about artists and how we want them to be deal with. What, what you, I think there's some there's some couple of the word capitalism comes up twice. There's turbo capitalistic comes up in yours, John, once, <laughs> which I thought I've not heard that before. But there is a kind of a, a kind of interest by both of you, really, in in the, in a wish for a bit more rigor or mm. or, or sort of genuine critique of capital mm. capitalism. Am I am I right in saying that? Um, yeah, I, mean, I think so. Can I just say something first? I think it's really do. interesting with regards to the white cube. Um, that I think the white cube itself is clearly trying to kind of reposition itself in the kind of artists that it's showing, don't you think? And in this case, it's quite interesting because both of them kind of neutralise each other in some kind of weird way. Like, he, you know, he's putting these kind of massive objects in there and, and kind of giving up on the critique thing. So and he's the going white, the wrong direction and they're well, going... Well, the white cube doesn't quite get what it wants because, you know, it can never... Well, because of what it is, it can't ever actually get what it seems to want. Um, yeah, that is interesting. It's quite, you know... It's interesting to watch the white cube trying to reposition itself, having been this kind of, you know, bastion of the YBAs or whatever, suddenly trying to jump on some kind of politicised bandwagon or something. Would you, can you name anyone else they've shown that you think there's an attempt to do that? I mean, Kiefer doesn't strike me as... No, no, but I think this this may be the first move. The first, okay. Kind of clear, I don't know. I think they do have these other project spaces, don't they? Mm. And saying that that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. But this, what I was going to say when oh, sorry, I was, yeah. no, 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 I was, no, no, I'm just hauling in We're, the the idea that when you guys both write, uh, context of where you write as you're discussing with these artists, you know, particularly uh, you, Colin. I mean, talking about where they are and how they deal with the context that they're in as artists showing. I mean, with writing and yourselves writing, the context, say, of Art Monthly or or of an academic place, John, or, you know, do, I mean, do you feel you need to deal with that? In, it's in, a broad in, issue, isn't it? I mean, it's something that someone like Liam Gillick has talked about quite well, I think, is the pro- is this kind of collapse of criticality because, you know, on one hand you've got curators writing catalogue essays uh, but also writing now largely for the art press at the same time, so they're pretty much inserting whatever they want their show to be into the art press. Meanwhile, no one can get paid for writing independently, so that's kind of getting disavowed. And then on the other hand, you've got academics, and they have their own kind of programme and their own, uh, you know, what's the word, pressures or whatever. There's um, link, what you mean, so the link to research funding in universities? Yeah, exactly. That kind of so, thing, you know, yeah. so everyone's kind of got their pressures on them, and, and, and the problem is that criticality itself kind of collapses. And if we, I mean, if we wanted, we could bring in the internet as well, of course, but that's a whole other kettle yeah. of fish. I think the question is um, not whether you're going to get compromised by, by your context so much as to what degree you're going to allow yourself to be, you know. So it's a matter of degree. I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, it's it's it, it, difficult to escape. I suppose the, the, also it's important to say the amounts of the amounts of money involved are not on the same scale. <laughs> <laughs> they really are. No. Sorry, our, our monthly has to hold its hands up there. <laughs> Limited funding <laughs> possibilities there. Yeah, well, listen, um, we're nearly the end of the programme and I um, really appreciate you both coming in and, and talking about what I think is a difficult, a difficult area. Both of these mm. subjects are, are are hard. I mean, I found your, your 
your text, John, is dense and very interesting, and I hope the listeners will want to read it, because it, we have touched on it, but there's lots of very useful quotes and information which we've not mentioned in it as well, and it'll lead you off into all kinds of areas, dear listener. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably be going off to a nearby hostelry, where we'll be led to happily, and um, we hope you will listen again in the future. There's lots of programmes on podcasts on Art Monthly's website, www.artmonthly.co.uk. It's also on iTunes, which you can go to on there, the podcast section of iTunes, and just type in Art Monthly Talk Show, and you get access to them all. You'll hear both of these people's dulcet tones there again, talking about something else, like art writing, for instance, as mentioned <laughs> earlier. But um, thank you ever so much, and uh, goodbye all. Goodbye, Colin. Goodbye, John. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Me husband used to love me, but now I'm what they call an also rare. For he's gone potty since he bought a wireless, and from that day my troubles they began. Since my old man's had a portable, he's gone completely up the pole. All he thinks about is knobs, knobs, knobs. That's why he Resonance 104.4 FM, the art of listening. There was a time my husband used to love me, but now I'm what they call an also rare. For he's gone potty since he bought a wireless. And from that day my troubles they began Since my old man's had a portable He's gone completely up the pole All he thinks